Welcome everybody to episode 9 of our Life Group study. Uh, I hope that you're all well. Uh, we're continuing our study of Paul's letter to the Romans and we're now in chapter 10. And in the last episode we focused in largely on verse 9. But today I want to focus in on verse 14 largely. And I want to look at what people need to be told in order to be saved. And so what I'd like to do is once again read the entire chapter up to verse 15. Uh, I want to do this firstly as a way of refreshing our minds and preparing them for our study today. And then secondly, because the answer to the question that we're going to ask today is found within the whole passage and not just in one verse. Uh, so without any further delay, let's just read this passage and then let's get into our study for today. So we're going to read from Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 15. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that's the Israelites, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Well, this is our passage that we're looking at. Uh, let me just quickly give you a recap on just some of the points that we've already raised from this passage. I think it's important for us to do this so that we have them freshly and clearly in our minds as we uh, do the study today. In the last episode, we saw that there are two essentials for salvation. What did we say they were? Firstly, the knowledge of God's righteousness. And secondly, submission to God's righteousness. There has to be both those elements present in a person in order for him to be saved. And so we also saw that what submitting to God's righteousness looks like. And that's really what we focused in on in the last episode. It's to put one's faith solely in the Lord Jesus for righteousness and salvation and to abandon all our own efforts to establish our own righteousness and therefore try to earn our own salvation. And this means that instead of asking in our hearts who will ascend into heaven or who will descend into the abyss, in other words, 
what must we do in order to uh, deal with our own sins, to make atonement for our own sins, or to impress God enough that He will let us ascend and come into His heaven. We are to publicly confess that Jesus is Lord. In other words, as we saw in the last episode, that He is Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, that He is sovereign, and to, that our allegiance to, to, to confess and to declare our allegiance to Him above all else. And we also see in this passage that we are to call on His name. And we're going to talk a little bit about this as we get into the study. And to put our faith solely in Him. In other words, to totally depend on Him. That's, that's what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to have faith in Him. When we consider what faith is, it's like a little kid. If you can imagine a little kid standing on a wall and uh, the wall is maybe a little bit higher than her daddy's arms, and uh, she jumps off that wall into her daddy's arms. That is really an illustration or a picture of what faith is like. Faith is like someone holding onto a tree as they climb down a steep mountainside, and as they hold onto that tree, they realize that if that tree gives way, they're going to fall down that mountainside to their death. And so they put their complete trust and dependence on that tree to hold them and to keep them and to save them from falling to their death. And that's really what faith in Jesus Christ is. It is casting oneself entirely upon Him. It is depending entirely upon Him. It is putting one's life completely in His hands, relying on Him, knowing that if He fails, then there is nothing else that we can fall back upon. And that's really what saving faith looks like. It is absolute dependence and reliance upon the Lord Jesus Christ for righteousness and for salvation. And Paul says here in this passage in verse 11 that anyone who does this will not be put to shame. They'll not be disappointed. But in order for this to happen in someone's life, several things must take place. And we've alluded to this already, but let me just say it again so that it's absolutely clear in our minds. They must realize that they cannot save themselves, that they cannot establish their own righteousness before God, and that they cannot earn their own way into heaven. Do you know that every single one of us needs to be absolutely settled in this matter? Secondly, they must be told what is necessary for them to both know God's righteousness and submit to it. And that brings us to the question that I want to ask today and look at today. And this is the question. What must people be told if they are to be saved? What must people be told if they are to be saved? Well, firstly, we can easily see from this passage that they must be told about Jesus. Because everything that we've been talking about, everything that uh, God's righteousness is about, and that submission to God's righteousness requires, revolves around Jesus. Look at verse 14 again. It says there, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? Do you realize that this is the key that unlocks the door of salvation for people? Unless people hear about Jesus, they cannot be saved. He's the dividing line. He's the plumb line. Everything revolves around Him and centers in Him. And so we see that people must be told about Jesus. 
But what must they be told about him for them to be saved? This is an important question to ask. What are the components of the true gospel that people must be told in order to be saved? So let's go through these, the, 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 these, these points that are so uh, fundamental to the true gospel and that are absolutely vital, people are told, when we present the gospel to them. The first one is this. They must be told the entire historical story about Jesus. Remember that the, the gospel is at its very core an historical account of Jesus of Nazareth, the one that we call Jesus Christ. Why do I say this? It's because people must believe in their hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead if they are to be justified and saved. And for them to believe that God raised him from the dead, they have to be told about it. And for them to be told about Jesus' resurrection, logically, we can see that they have to first hear about the part of his story that precedes and leads up to his resurrection. You see, we need to remember that Christianity is founded in and based on historically verifiable events. It's not based on myths, but on historical facts. People need to be told Jesus' biography. They need to know that he is a real person who lived in a specific place 2,000 years ago. That place, obviously, as we know, is in the, the nation of Israel and particularly spent most of his time around the shores of Galilee. They need to know that Jesus was born of a virgin somewhere in the region of 4 BC. They need to hear about the miraculous life that he lived and the incredible miracles that he did. They need to be told that he was crucified by the Romans around AD 30 and why the Romans crucified him, what led up to that event. They need to hear that he was buried in a tomb. And then they need to hear that he rose from the dead on the third day, was seen by up to 500 people at different times, that he ate and drank with people, that he talked to them, and gave them many indisputable proofs that he was physically alive, even to the point of letting them touch him. And then, after that, they need to be told that he ascended into heaven in full view of men, and was glorified at God's right hand, and given all authority in heaven and on earth by God. You know, I remember not too long ago where I picked up a man in my car, and this was here in Harare. And uh, you would expect that almost every person that lives in Harare would have a, some sort of understanding or knowledge of who Jesus is. But when I picked up this man, he had no understanding of who Jesus is. Now, he had heard about Jesus. He had been told things about Jesus, but he did not know the truth about Jesus. When I asked him, I said to him, do you believe in Jesus? He said to me, yes, I believe in Jesus. And I said to him, what do you believe about Jesus? And he was blank. I had to pry and, and sort of uh, prompt him to be able to answer that question. Because although he said he believed in Jesus, he knew nothing about Jesus. And I was astounded by this, that someone living in Harare with all the churches that are in Harare, that he did not have any idea of who Jesus is. And uh, I had to start explaining to him. In fact, when, when I started prying a bit further, he said to me that uh, Jesus is just somewhere uh, around us and he's there to help us. That was as much as he could tell me about Jesus. He had no knowledge of the fact that Jesus was a real man. He sort of had this idea that Jesus was this uh, spirit that just sort of lived somewhere in the atmosphere and, and that he was sort of able as a spirit to help people. He had no idea that Jesus had been born. He had no idea that Jesus had died on a cross. 
He had no idea about the resurrection. And so there was no way that this man could be saved. And so we see just how important it is for us to tell people about the historical Jesus, the one who became flesh and blood and lived amongst us, who was heard and was seen and was touched and who touched people himself. Okay, so that's the first thing. People must be told about the historical Jesus. Secondly, they need to be told who Jesus is. They need to be told that he's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings, that he is the judge of both the living and the dead, that he's the savior of those who believe in him and put their faith in him and publicly confess their faith in him and call upon him. And that he's the avenger ultimately of all who don't do so. Why is this necessary? Well, if we don't tell people who Jesus is, how are they going to confess that he is Lord, that he is Yahweh? If they're not told that he is Lord and they're not told that he's Yahweh, will they ever be able to confess him as such? And as we've seen, Paul said that that's essential for people to do. Thirdly, so we've seen firstly that people need to be told the historical narrative of Jesus. They need to be told his story. Secondly, we've seen that they need to be told who he is. And thirdly, they must be told what the implications of all this is to them. In other words, why is the gospel relevant to them? And what do they need to do about it? And so what do they need to be told in order to see the relevance of the gospel to them and also obey the message, the, the command that the message of the gospel brings to them? Let's just look at verses 11 to 13. It says there, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what do we see? They must believe in him if they are not to be put to shame. They must call on him if they are to be saved. What is it that they are calling in him, on him for? Surely we can see it is for salvation. So what do they need to be told that will move them to believe in Jesus? And that means, as we said earlier, to trust in Him and depend on Him solely for righteousness and salvation and to call upon Him. Well, let's have a look at it. They need to be told, number one, that they need to be saved. Do you know that there are a lot of people who don't realize this or don't want to acknowledge it or even be confronted with this fact that they need to be saved? They don't want to consider this fact. They don't want to consider that they are on a road that leads to destruction. And oftentimes when we point this out to people, this will begin to get their hackles up because people do not want to consider their destiny. People want to travel through life with their hands over their ears and uh, with their hands over their eyes. They don't want to see, they don't want to hear this particular truth. But we have to tell people. How can we say that they need Jesus if they don't realize that they need to be saved, that their soul is in grave jeopardy? And so in terms of applying the gospel, bringing the implication and the relevance of the gospel to people, we have to make sure that they understand their need for salvation. It's absolutely fundamentally essential for them to do so. And then secondly, they need to understand that it is impossible for them to save themselves. And we've already seen this clearly from 
Paul's teaching in this chapter. People need to understand that. Because often when people are told that they're on their way to destruction or that they're, they're living under God's wrath because of their sin and that they need to be saved, unless they are told the way of salvation, they will, not, uh, they, they will start to devise their own ways. Even if they believe, and I'm talking about people that believe that they need to be saved, that are convicted of their sin, that realize their need for salvation, they have to be told that they cannot save themselves. And then thirdly, they have to be told the way of salvation, the way that God has devised for them to be saved. And what is that? Well, we've been, we've been talking about it. We've, we've spoken about it. We've mentioned it. They must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They must turn to Him. They must humble themselves before Him. And when we say humble themselves, we're not necessarily talking about them getting on their knees, although it may absolutely well, may involve that. Humbling themselves before the Lord Jesus is realizing He's the only one who can save them. It's a, it's a, a state of heart. That's really what it is. It's people coming to that place where they realize they cannot save themselves and that Jesus, who is King and who is Lord, is the only one who can save them. And when they realize that, they humble themselves before Him and they ask Him to save them, trusting in Him to do that. And then they publicly confess that He is Lord, which, as we're going to see later on in the passage that I'm going to ask you to read, involves being baptized and, in fact, begins by being baptized. Okay, so it's if they do this, they need to be told that if they do this, these three things, they will be saved. And instead of receiving the wrath of God, which they deserve, they will find forgiveness, mercy, and grace from God. Abundant grace. Grace that goes way beyond what we we could ever ask for or imagine. And this is the message that people must believe and obey in order to be saved. It's not enough for them just to say they believe it. They need to believe and obey it in order to be saved. And we'll see this as we carry on in chapter 10 in the next few verses after verse 15. This matter of obeying the gospel begins to come up. All right, sir, this is the message people must believe and obey in order to be saved. It's as simple as that. Whoever believes it and because they believe it, obeys it, will be saved However, whoever does not believe it will be condemned. Let's just ask one further question before I close and we begin our discussions as life groups over this matter. Why does Paul say that people must believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? Why does Paul single out this this one aspect of the gospel's historical narrative from the rest? Why does he not say that if we believe in our hearts that Jesus was crucified for our sins, we will be saved? I want to answer that quickly. Why is the resurrection of Jesus so important, so central to the Christian faith? Well, first of all, it is a historical fact that Jesus was crucified. It's historically documented even outside of the Bible. Even the Quran mentions the crucifixion of Jesus. The the Muslims don't believe that it was the Son of God who was crucified because they say there's no way he could ever die. So they're wrong in that matter. But there is still this mention, even in the Quran, of the crucifixion of Jesus. And so outside of the Bible, there are historical, um, uh, historical accounts and records of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. So while there was no dispute in Paul's time about Jesus' life and resurrection, there was dispute over His, sorry, over His crucifixion. 
there was no dispute in Paul's times over Jesus's life and crucifixion. Sorry, I got I made a mistake there. There was a dispute over his resurrection. We need to remember that the Lord did not show himself after his resurrection to all people. So people had to believe, and even today this is the case, they have to believe the testimony of the eyewitnesses of his resurrection. Those that Jesus chose to appear to after he rose, if they are going to be saved. Secondly, so we've seen there that the resurrection is is not as historically um, provable as the crucifixion is, and particularly in the case of those who... um, Uh, lived in Paul's times. They knew about the life of Jesus, but they didn't know about his resurrection until they were told by the eyewitnesses. Secondly, the resurrection speaks to who Jesus is like nothing else can. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, then there is no proof that he's the Son of God. He was just like every other prophet that has ever lived. But if Jesus was raised from the dead, never to die again, That is absolute proof that he is who he claimed to be, the Son of God, the I Am, Yahweh, the Lord of hosts. It separates him from every other human being that has ever lived. You see, no one else in all of human history has ever been raised from the dead in the manner that he was. In other words, never to die again. We know that Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he died. When he was raised from the dead, he was just given an extension on his life. But when Jesus was raised from the dead, he came forth from that tomb never to die again. He came forth from that tomb with indestructible life, eternal life. Okay, so the resurrection speaks to who Jesus is like nothing else can. Thirdly, no one can believe in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead without acknowledging who he is. To believe that God raised Jesus from the dead requires saving faith. Whereas to believe that he lived and did miracles and was crucified does not require a person to have saving faith. In other words, to believe that he's the son of God. Moses and Elijah and Elisha all did great miracles. Thousands of people were crucified by the Romans in Judea during that period of time. So the fact that Jesus was crucified does not in and of itself prove that he was the Son of God, but the resurrection does. And this is why the resurrection and believing that Jesus was raised from the dead, that God raised him from the dead, is so central to saving faith. Now, with all this in our minds, what I would like you to do as life groups is to read the record of the sermon that the Apostle Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. So you're going to find this in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 41. We're not going to read the very beginning of his sermon, but I want you to read from verses 22 to verse 41. That's in Acts chapter 2. And as you read this passage, I want you to ask yourselves uh, the following questions. I want you to ask yourself whether Peter told the people in Jerusalem that day all that we have said in this particular study that people must hear to be saved. So we're going to be looking at this record of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. And we're going to ask ourselves, do the the elements that we've uh, been looking at, the components of the gospel that we've said are absolutely essential for people to hear if they're going to be saved, are those components, all of them, found in his sermon? So this this is what it is. Did he speak of Jesus historically? Did Peter refer to Jesus historically? 
And as we, we answer that question, we need to ask ourselves, what was the climax of his historical presentation about the Lord Jesus Christ? In other words, what was the part that he really stressed? Okay, so that's the first question we need to answer. Did he speak of Jesus historically? Secondly, did he declare who Jesus is? Did Peter declare that Jesus is Lord? And what was the historical truth that undergirded this declaration? Okay, so let me just repeat that. Did he declare who Jesus is? Did he declare that Jesus is Lord? And what was the historical truth that undergirded this declaration? And then thirdly, let's ask ourselves this question. What did he tell the people to do in response to what he had declared to them? So as you go through this passage together and discuss it and, and analyze it, this message, this presentation of the gospel that Peter gave to the people on the day of Pentecost, I pray that the Lord will give you a full understanding of this matter, what people need to know, what they need to believe, and what they need to obey or do in order to be saved. God bless you all.